Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Too good to be true. Alphonse Carr wrote in a book called The Tour Round My Garden. We can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorns have roses. It's a new episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Season 1, Episode 18 of Everybody Loves Raymond. It was entitled Recovering Pessimist. And in that episode, Deborah, who is Ray's wife on the show, she urges him to be more positive because he just continues to remain sour after winning Sports Writer of the Year at a time when he should just be completely elated and beside himself. He walks into their bedroom. He's got this enormous trophy, which makes it even funnier. I mean, this trophy is five feet tall that he won for sports writer of the year. I don't even know a sports writer that surely sports writer of the year does not really have like a, a real trophy. I may, um, he walks into the bedroom. He's got this huge trophy and he says it has to be too good to be true (laughs) i mean very reluctantly he tries to change his natural negative outlook but if you've ever watched the program his family ever the negative nellies that they are they constantly are influencing him with their usual lackluster enthusiasm for life So here he is always at the ready, just like his family, you know, they're they're just happy to throw cold water on anybody who's got any good news and his parents just thrive on constantly putting people down, including each other. It's makes it a funny show. So the newspaper where Ray works, they promote him after this award, obviously, you know, we've got this, he, he sports writer of the year. And he's working really hard to become an optimist. He's never been an optimist. He isn't raised by optimists, but he's trying to become one. And it just doesn't seem to be working. And he returns home to the news that his boss wants him to cover the Iditarod in Alaska. He walks into the house and Deborah says, the boss called. And, you know, because you're sports writer of the year, he he wants you to cover the Iditarod in Alaska. Now this is not, this is not your typical plum assignment. A smile breaks out on his face and she asks him, why is he smiling? And he just, he's just euphoric. And he says, cause I'm back. I'm back. I'm a pessimist and I'm back. And he's just, he's happy. He's happy. Ray, he so identifies as a pessimist that he's unhappy being anything else. 
It's just, it's easier for him to automatically think of the worst instead of the best. And he really just wants to, that's the pond he wants to swim in. That's the pond he wants to live in (laughs) to give a negative connotation of what could otherwise be a good thing. Sports writer of the year. And he is like all of those people, you know, them who just enjoy being miserable. Mark Twain wrote, the man who is a pessimist before 48 knows too much. If he is an optimist after it, he knows too little. (laughs) There may be some truth to that. I don't know. I'm not 48 anymore. I, I, I know too much, but I'm still not a pessimist. Do you overestimate the likelihood of worst case scenarios coming true. That really is kind of the question of, of the moment. Do you overestimate the likelihood of worst case scenarios coming true? Twain's quote is pretty interesting because for some reason he focuses on this very specific age, 48. I don't know why he did that. I was reading a number of journals dealing with mental health. And I noticed a focus on people between the ages of 18 and 35 based largely on the brain development of the prefrontal cortex, which we are told doesn't really fully develop until typically until about age 25. Now there's also lots of talk and lots of writing about our ancient brains being wired to keep us safe. Now, many people, they theorize, they love to think about us. They love to think about us being on the mankind, being on the constant lookout for woolly mammoths and other prehistoric villains. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the same folks who tell us that the earth is billions of years old. Never mind that the Bible chronology puts the date of the earth closer to 6,000 years. Last time I looked, our modern culture has plenty of dangers. I mean, likely as many, if not more than our fable, the prehistoric counterparts. So our worst case scenario thinking prevents us from making foolish choices. Sometimes just go, go, go over to YouTube and just browse through YouTube. And sooner than later, you're going to encounter some videos. There are entire channels, in fact, devoted to this where police behave poorly. Now I'm not anti-police at all i am I, I think it's colossally idiotic to even consider it like defunding the police but in almost every video on these particular types of channels i have watched and some officers escalated the situation instead of de-escalating the situation and that's what we do with our worst case scenario thinking oh really easy to see a cop who's doing that and think, well, we're better than him. Are we, are we, he's likely thinking worst case scenario and it's affecting his judgment. And yet you and I do the same thing. Okay. Well, just because nobody's plastering video of you on YouTube, we sometimes escalate it rather than choosing to de-escalate it. And the outcome is never as good as it may have been. If we would have just chosen to kind of, Let's just ramp things down here a little bit. Let's not ramp this up. So why would a police officer amp up a situation? Well, it depends. I've watched a video of officers who pull over a group of motorcyclists 
these motorcyclists have been racing for miles and miles and miles and miles through heavy traffic, popping wheelies, uh, creating some extremely dangerous situations at high speeds. And a supervising officer amps things up. They get these cyclists pulled over on an exit ramp to the highway. They've got them over on the shoulder and there's two or three cars supervisor shows up on the scene. He goes off verbally on these cyclists. He is lecturing them on the havoc that they have. He is visibly, visibly angry. He knows, he knows how awful this thing could have turned out. If his officers had not successfully pulled these guys over. And from my vantage point as an older guy, he's making a point. I get it. Now on the flip side, there's another video. And in this video, officers are approaching a man. He is minding his own business. He's not doing one thing. And if we can believe what we're told about this encounter, the man didn't do anything to provoke the police, but he's just parked over there. And he's, they're just kind of suspicious of this guy. He's not done anything to provoke that suspicion. It's just, it's a bit out of the ordinary, I suppose. He provides identification, but refuses to allow them to search his vehicle. And he doesn't really give, he's not forthcoming with any information. He's reciting to them his rights and he is videoing the entire time. And it's just irking the officer. And repeatedly, the officer demands that he turn it off, but he continues to repeat. He's got the right to do this, and he's going to do this. And he continues to, I don't know, how, how would I, what's the best word I could, I could use? He, he, he challenges the officer that I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I've identified myself, and that's all I have to do, and so forth. The officer is getting angrier and angrier. The officer is getting more animated in his movements. He's getting more animated in his language. Now I'm watching this video and I'm wondering, I, I'm, I'm watching, wondering if the officer, you know, doesn't just, you know, why doesn't he just make a report and go on? Why doesn't he just make a report and let this thing go? Well, we don't have any way of knowing exactly what may have happened. All we see is what we see. And we don't know if number one, if we're seeing the whole thing. And even if we are seeing the whole thing, we have no way of knowing what just happened with this officer earlier. We don't know if maybe he's just an angry cop with an attitude could be, could be, I mean, come on. I've known angry accountants who were angry with their attitudes. You don't have to be a cop to have an angry attitude. I've known salespeople. I've known engineers. I've known just about every other role that you can find in any workplace where people are just angry with an attitude could be. That's what we're looking at. But you know, we watch these videos and we instantly think de-escalation would be better. You know, it's just, it's almost always better to de-escalate everything. Just calm everything down instead of really amping everything up question why can't we apply that logic on our own life why can't we look at life instead of thinking well this is too good to be true <laughs> why can't we celebrate and be happy in the moment 
this is a case where, you know, throwing the cold water on it, it's just easier. Self-control is really hard. It's hard if you're a policeman. It's hard if you're an accountant. It's hard if you're an engineer. It's hard if you're a podcaster. It's hard for you. It's hard for me. Restraint, especially in our thoughts, is very difficult. A police officer is trained to be on guard, always alert as to what could go wrong. Well, you can hardly blame a police officer for approaching every traffic stop alert to the possibility, the possibility that this person that they have pulled over could be a bad, bad, bad person. I mean, come on. We would think that policeman would be very foolish if they didn't approach a car at a traffic stop that way. Now, once it's evident that this is just some ordinary person who's going about their business and they're guilty of some traffic violation question, should the police officer keep his hand on his holster? Should the police officer escalate matters with salty language and demand that the driver step out of the car? Probably not, but it happens. Just like it happens that sometimes we don't curb ourselves when that would likely be a better option for us and everybody involved. Assumptions, paranoia, fear that things will go south, they abound. You don't have to be a cop. You know, mostly those are default feelings and beliefs that many of us hold. You know, we commonly refer to Mr. Murphy whose laws we believe to be true Murphy's laws, but who determined that these, who determined that these are laws at all Murphy. I mean, who was Murphy and who was he to decide that these will be laws? What can go wrong will go wrong. You know, it's one thing to understand that it's possible for something to go wrong, but it's something else to believe that it will happen. And every time, because the truth is there are lots of things that could go wrong, but they never do. I would argue, at least in my life, they rarely do. I mean, just think of all of the times I was, as, as I was preparing for this, we moved to the Dallas Fort Worth area. Well, I came and began work in, uh, late 89 and my family came after school was out the following year, but I got in traffic. I moved here from the Oklahoma city area. So it was not like I moved from a small town, uh, but traffic and I happened to work near downtown Dallas. And so the traffic situation was certainly not something I was accustomed to. And I, who knows how many close calls, if you're driving in that kind of traffic and you're driving as much as I was driving at the time to and fro, and you're driving during those hours where the roads are just packed, a lot of things can, can go wrong. Oh, you think you're in control. I got news for you. There's a lot of other people on the road and a lot of them are distracted. And I think of all the times, particularly with trucks, with big 18 wheelers and things, you know, who, who weren't paying attention. And there I was, or, or unfortunately I was in their blind spot 
a place that I work really hard to not be, by the way, I agonize. Do you do this? So I'm on the highway and there's an 18 wheeler and somebody's going to pass the 18 wheeler. And they just, they're just, they just slowly, slowly, they just, they creep to pass them and they may get right alongside them, but not quite up beside them. And they just, they just stay there for this inordinate amount of time. And I'm thinking, would you just give it the gas and get past? You are, you're in a dangerous spot. It's not about speed. It's just about get on past. So you're not in their blind spot. Well, I think of all the times in traffic. I mean, you think about it. All of the times that you've spent behind the wheel of your car without incident. Well, I'll go you one better. Think about the times that we spend doing anything. I don't care what it is. Shopping, sleeping, going about our business, playing, recreating, vacationing. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is that we do, think about all of the times that we spend doing all the things that encompass our life and nothing bad happens. And the outliers don't define us. The one time where something bad might happen does not define your whole life. And it certainly doesn't prove that it's a law. Ah, but bias, bias corrupts all of us. You know, you hear it every day in conversations. You hear it when somebody may well, we use terms like everybody or always. Oh, that always happens. No, it doesn't. (laughs) You know, something bad, something goes south. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. That always happens. Never fails. (laughs) No, it, it fails quite often. It doesn't, that doesn't happen always. Oh yeah. Everybody thinks so. Really? Everybody. (laughs) We know it's not true, but we just spout off like it is just this rampant communication weakness that has formed in part from our biases. As I'm hitting the record button, we're. We're smack bag, smack dab in the middle of like state elections. And it's just, it's just, it's so exhausting. If you enjoy politics bully for you, but I hate them. I hate them with a passion. You know, Trump haters, they jumped on every word. Biden lovers. Well, they are ignoring the apparent cognitive weaknesses that exist in a man who clearly does not seem to know what day of the week it is. Trump lovers hear one thing while haters hear something completely different and Biden, he endures the same thing. Meanwhile, our biases risk deepening and therefore blinding us even more to reality. You read about its cognitive bias. Well, what is cognitive bias? Well, I, I Googled and found a definition that seemed to make some sense. You can find this over at tech target.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Cognitive bias is a systematic thought process caused by the tendency of the human brain to simplify information processing through a filter of personal experience and preferences. The filtering process is a coping mechanism that enables the brain to prioritize and process large amounts of information quickly. I would argue anecdotally that 
cognitive bias continues to grow because, well, we are, we are trying to process increasingly more and more information and it's tough. It's tough. I told my wife the other day, I I don't know where you go to find, I know where to go to find religious, spiritual truth, the Bible. I don't know where to go to find truth about most anything else. (laughs) You used to could kind of sort of rely on media, but you can't do that anymore. Now, this article goes on to list a litany of the different types of cognitive biases. I would suppose that there are new ones that are being identified on a very regular basis. There's a, there's a lot of them. I had no idea there were that many. Too good to be true speaks to our biases, but I think it also speaks to our beliefs and our feelings. You know, it's much deeper than just optimism and pessimism. I think those are the practical realities of it. Like right now in the middle of this election campaigning, I'm hearing political ads every day, especially for the governor of the state of Texas. We have an incumbent, Abbott, and we have an opposition, Beto. The incumbent, he's a longstanding conservative. The opponent, a longstanding, well, okay, not maybe not quite so longstanding, but I mean, he he's a, He's as liberal as they come. And both, both of these candidates are regularly slamming one another with these little three second sound bites that make their opponents sound like the devil. You know, they, they support every, anything that's vile and evil. They support it. Me. Well, I, I don't, I don't support that vile evil thing. Like he does me. I don't trust either one of them to tell you the truth for our state state of Texas or any other state for that matter, for our nation, for that matter, for us to find a great leader that can truly help our country. Well, now that just, now that just may be too good to be true. <laughs> I've talked to you before. I, I read this book when my kids were small and I had never heard of, of this gentleman. I would find out later Martin Seligman. Martin Seligman is kind of known as the founding father of positive psychology. Well, I'd never heard of positive psychology. I didn't know what that meant. I'd never heard of him. But the title of this book is I was browsing through a Barnes and Noble or whatever bookstore it was at the time. And this was years and years and years ago. My kids were little and they're long grown now. But the title of the book was Learned Optimism, and it just captured me. And I thought, Learned Optimism, well, that's pretty interesting. I'll embed uh, a, a link in the show notes from positivepsychology.com about Mr. Seligman's kind of glass half full concept. But I read the book because I thought it made sense to me. I, I'm not, I'm certainly not a scientist, a social scientist or otherwise, but I'm interested, really interested and have long studied psychology and I'm, I'm intrigued by human behavior and always have been. And it made sense to me that optimism, yeah, well, of course it should be, we should be able to learn it, 
But I understand why it's so difficult because like Ray Barone's family, we are surrounded by negativity. Okay. Maybe not to the degree that he, he was, but it's clear to all of us. I think pessimism is easy. It just doesn't require a lot of effort for me to see how something could go badly. And sometimes many of us are, are fixated on really disastrous outcomes. And, and we not only fixate on how it can go badly, but how it can go horribly, horribly, horribly bad. And we reason. And the only reason I know this is because I inquire when people, when I encounter somebody and it's clear to me that this is kind of how they're bent. I, I, I have questions. I have questions. I really want to understand and I am repeatedly barraged with this logic that if, if I keep my expectations low, then I'm able to reduce my disappointment. Now, if that were true, I'm not persuaded that that's true. By the way, I'm fully persuaded that they believe that I'm just not persuaded that that is the reality because I rather think that we go through life every day somewhat disappointed, but I also think that we go through life every day somewhat not disappointed. I think mostly our lives, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like based on the people I know, the people that I've known all my life, the people that I interact with and my own life, largely, largely life looks much like yesterday, doesn't it? I mean, you okay, something that, yeah, that's kind of good. That's kind of good. And okay, well that's, that's okay. That's not so good, but you know, to define it so binary as good and bad, it just kind of is right. Doesn't it feel like so much of our life is just kind of this neutral thing. And then occasionally, Hey, I've got good news. Now it may be something relatively minor it could be something fantastic and then occasionally well i got sorry i got some bad news and mostly it's yeah, okay it's not great but it's not going to wreck our life but then sometimes it does sometimes you know i'm fascinated still by that lyric in that matt carney song we're all just one phone call from our knees but here's the flip side to that. We are all just one phone call from throwing a party, but why is it easier to think about the one phone call that could put us on our knees? And we can't think about, we can't think about the one phone call that might could change everything in a really, really positive way. All the songs about suffering, all the songs about hardship, all the songs about disappointment, heartbreak. Well, they resonate with us. These are universal feelings. Yeah. For some maybe more so than others and songs of joy and happiness and even contentment. I was an early Jimmy Buffett fan. Buffett was roaming through the Gulf States. Uh, he had really just come off of a number of years of busking, which is, you know, it was just a street performer, uh, playing in new Orleans, playing all along the Gulf shores and down into Florida and had fallen in with Jerry Jeff Walker, Texas own Jerry Jeff and came out with his first record and was beginning to break through. And the songs were not at all 
some of them were a little bit funny, but the songs, the songs were mostly, I mean, they were, they had, there was a darkness to early Jimmy Buffett. And at some point, somewhere along the way, and it was kind of fascinating to watch. And, and I watched him a lot and I saw him live a lot. And this is, this is back when the coral reefer band was one guy with a guitar and Jimmy. Well, the first times that I saw him, there was no coral reefer band. It was just, it was just him and a guitar, but he really broke through. He really broke through Margaritaville cheeseburger in paradise. And these pun intended, these really cheesy songs. By that point I was out the writer, the songwriter, the wordsmith that I had kind of fallen in love with as a, as a a young college guy, Uh, that guy, that guy was that guy had gone. He, he had given way and I understood it. I, I didn't, I don't resent it today. I, I never did, but I enjoyed the, the other songs more and you see him, he can pack a stadium. He can pack a stadium today with paired heads and it's just one big frivolity and I get alcohol's a big, big player. And for a non drinker, um, I'm out. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't resonate with me in the least, but the whole Caribbean let's drink a lot. Let's party. Let's have a good time. I'm just, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with the dichotomy between the darkness and the sadness and the suffering and the disappointment that we all find so universally true. And then we gravitate and we can pack stadiums to get away from that. We can pack stadiums to be rid of that and we can be a parrot head and we can, we can act crazy and we can act like a kid. I have never been to one, but I've seen video and you can see these people who are my age, some older, some younger behaving like absolute idiots <laughs> But having a good time, having a good time doing it. And you just know, well, come on, we all know it's true. If you look at somebody and you think, well, they're not going through anything. It's not because they're not going through anything. It's just because you don't know. Because we're all going through something. Now, the degree of what we're going through is different. What I'm going through at this very moment ain't nearly as bad as some things that people I'm close to are going through, but misery loves company and all that too good to be true. But what if it's not, what if it's not too good to be true? What if we're looking at this all wrong? What if we could learn optimism? What if we could choose to believe this is going to go well, this is going to go really well. I don't care if you love him or hate him. I'm rather indifferent about the whole thing. I just think it's kind of a fascinating thing that a guy, that a guy like this became president, but there's a new book out about Trump. This lady has been following him. She claims for years and years. I, I trust her as far as that goes. I've not read the book, have no interest in reading the book. Don't care. Doesn't matter. He he's, He's completely insignificant to me, as are 
virtually all all politicians. I just don't care. But that's my choice. But she made a comment that Trump grew up looking at situations and just believing, deeply, deeply, deeply believing it was going to work out to his favor. And he had a litany of evidence to prove that he was right. Whether it was those early days of his father kind of coming to the rescue, I'm not assuming that bailing him out or anything, but you know, dad, dad learned, he learned how to navigate the New York real real estate scene and did so during a time when, well, it was just, let's say it was, uh, less than savory, perhaps not saying that it's terribly savory today, but this is back in the old days and that Donald, the Donald, he just grew up from her perspective as a biographer. He just grew up believing it was going to work out. And I, I heard her say that this was just like two days ago in an interview that she did. And I thought, I mean, he, he, doesn't he just reek of that? And we look at that bravado and that confidence and that arrogance and that hubris and, but, and I'm not advocating any of that. And I'm certainly not advocating. Well, I'm not advocating anything. I'm advocating wisdom is what I'm advocating. And today I'm advocating optimism, but the belief that it will work out the belief that it will work out favorably. We could argue, well, it's just as easy to choose that as it is to choose that it won't, but it's not because if it were, we would, and we don't <laughs> largely, we choose to believe it'll be bad. And I'm really fascinated why, why we do that. And I, I'm listen, I'm as guilty as the next person, but I can look back with real hindsight and give it deep thought. And I can give you way more, way more instances where it worked out well than when it didn't work out well, way more. I, it's not even a close contest. And I'll sometimes engage other people in this, in this conversation and I'll ask them and they will admit the same thing. I don't have any statistical proof. I'm not saying any of this is statistically valid, but it just seems to me we live our lives. We go to work in the morning and we come home in the evening and things have gone relatively well. Some days are better than others, but most days are relatively trouble free. And then there are those days where things go swimmingly well. And admittedly, there are those days where things go horribly, horribly wrong. But the swimmingly well and the horribly wrong, to me, seem to be more outliers. It's all of that time in the middle. It's all of that time in the middle where things are just kind of muddling along and mostly neutral, where I believe we live our lives. I would argue that that's a bad thing, but I can't. And the reason I can't is because, you know, people talk about getting in a rut and having these habits. These keep us sane. 
The fact that I can get up in the morning and I can walk to my sink and I can start brushing my teeth and I don't think anything of it helps contribute a degree to my sanity because I don't get up in the morning going, I wonder what I should do. I wonder what I should do. I'm just, I'm on autopilot and we can think, oh, well, that's a bad way to live. Is it? Is autopilot bad? I don't think autopilot's bad. You know, people talk about commuting to work and you don't even remember that you drove to work. Hmm. Cause you've done it so many times. You're just kind of on autopilot. Oh, well that's dangerous. I don't know. I, I, and I'm not saying don't, you shouldn't be attentive on the road. I'm not saying you should just zone out, but I don't know that it's a bad thing for us to be operating a bit on autopilot as opposed to every single decision we've got to give great thought to. So if that cognitive bias is the tendency for the human brain to simplify information processing through a filter of a personal experience and preferences, I would argue that I don't know what it would be called. And somebody I'm sure has named it, but the cognitive autopilot in us that we just do these things out of habit, I think can serve us problem when we are dug into pessimism and pessimism is our way of life. Like it was Ray Barone's and everybody loves Raymond. And even if we win sports writer of the year, even holding the trophy, <laughs> we say it has, it has to be too good to be true. And we could go hopping down a bunch of other bunny trails that I won't, but there's that argument. Well, people don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel like anything good ought to happen to them. So there's all kinds of psychology that are attached to this learning optimism or learning pessimism. I'm just putting forth in a really feeble way. I'm putting forth an argument. Why does it have to be too good to be true? Why can't, why, why can't we win the trophy? Knowing that we don't always win the trophy. Somebody else may win it. I did an episode about parades. If you know, if you, if you want to experience more parades, then stop raining on others. And admittedly, this is a default behavior. I'm not saying that it's good, bad, or ugly. It just is what it is for me. When people that I respect people that I like, when good things happen, I'm genuinely happy and elated for them. I, I just am. My empathy is so high. It rubs both ways. Empathy would be a horrible thing. If all you did is you experience empathy with all the pain and the suffering and the sorrow I do, but I'm also able to leverage the other because sometimes people chase a dream. And sometimes we're close enough to them. We see them chase this dream year after year after year. And sometimes we see the dream come true and it's great. It's worth celebrating. I love it because you know what it does. I'm, I'm genuinely happy for them, but there's a selfish motive here as well. It's evidence to me. It can happen. Not only can it happen, it does happen. And why not choose to believe it will happen for me too. It's not like being struck by lightning. I mean, we're, we're, I guess a lot of people view it that way. I guess a lot of people just view it as well. It's just, a, it's so against the odds. Really? 
I mean, what are the odds? Do you even know what the odds are? Yeah, me neither. I just know that we can choose what to believe. We can choose what to think. And again, for the umpteenth time, I'm not talking about manifestation. I'm not talking about the law of attraction. I don't buy that. What I do buy is I can choose to view something and I can choose to believe something and that can become my reality. I can choose to believe something completely different and that too can be my reality. I've long used the road rage illustration person cuts you off in traffic and immediately you just think dirty, rotten, so-and-so that's your reality. He's a dirty, rotten, so-and-so. And maybe he is, but you don't know. And guess what? You'll never know because he's boogieing on down the highway. But I could, I could, it would take more effort admittedly, but I could choose to believe Oh, poor guy really got an emergency. Hope he's careful. Hope he gets there safe. I could be right, but I could be wrong. What difference does it make? I can believe one. I can believe the other. I could be wrong. I could be right. It could be something completely different, but it doesn't matter. He's on down the highway. This is me. We're talking about, or you, we can choose to believe in that moment, what we want to believe about that person and what we choose to believe doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect the physical universe. Eh, but it kind of sort of does because it affects our physical universe because it affects the way we feel, the way we think. And now it could change our whole day. It could change more. I'll argue that those habits that can serve us, we could also leverage toward wisdom and we could have the habits toward optimism serve us. You know, it's a little bit like you ever lost some weight. Yeah, me too. Need to right now. Getting started is really hard, but kind of once you get started and you're like, okay, I'm going to eat healthy and I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do all the right things here for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, that's as big a commitment as I'm going to make. It's like, I'm going to change my life from here on out. No, I, I mean, there's a reason I'm still battling it because that's not ever been my conclusion. <laughs> I'm going to change from here on out. This is how, no, I just. Listen, I just, I'm going to do it for a little while so I can drop 10, 15 pounds. Yeah. There's a reason it doesn't stay off, but it's really difficult. It's really difficult to get started. But then once you get started and you kind of get in a roll, and especially when you start seeing a pound come off and another pound and another next thing, you know, okay, it gets a little bit easier. The habit of optimism, I suspect works the same way. Here's the word. Here's the word that I'll end on. We have to practice. We have to practice optimism because every day we're practicing. Most of us by default, we're practicing pessimism. We're naturally looking at what could go wrong. What if we stopped? I'll end and give you two pieces of advice that I have found work for me. If I stop, and I give thanks. If I stop and I'm grateful for the way things are, could they be better? Of course. Can they be worse? Always. But if I just stop and am grateful and thankful 
for the way things are, then I'm better able now to practice intentionally, purposefully trying to think, what do I want the ideal outcome to be? And then I work, well, I'm trying to work to really believe in that, believing that that can happen. No guarantees that it will happen, but no guarantees that bad things will happen either, but hopeful. And I guess there's the word. Can we live a life filled with hope? Well, it sure beats the alternative. We just keep rolling right on toward the end of the year. It's a strange year. Rhonda texted me earlier. She'd read that the Fed, they were going to raise the interest rates again in November. I'm like, nobody's got a clue what to do. I can backseat drive with the next of them and I can assume the worst. I can assume that whoever wins the state election to be governor of Texas is going to wreck my life or save my life. But they're not. Because last time I looked, my savior is not the governor or the president. Somebody a whole lot higher and loftier than that. I choose optimism because I don't think things are necessarily too good to be true. I think there's a lot of good that is true. For me, the question is, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to contribute to it? Or am I going to be the person who's like Ray Barone's family? A negative Nelly who goes through life with lackluster enthusiasm, always at the ready to just douse anybody's dream with cold water. That just seems like a horrible way to go through life. Leaning toward wisdom.com. Randy Cantrell, greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.